Baker Mayfield may be the most authentic person in all of sports. And now that he's a professional, we're getting the full uncensored version. In a recent article in GQ magazine, Mayfield talked about his infamous Ohio State flag plant, which happened after he led the Sooners to a 31-16 win over the Buckeyes back in 2017. Mayfield said, quote, the higher ups at Oklahoma told him that he needed to apologize, which Mayfield characterized as, quote, just jaw dropping to him. I'm going to read this next part straight from Clay Skipper's story in GQ. Mayfield begins to recount how he was told that that type of display was not what Oklahoma football was about. As he does, you can see him getting worked up. Quote, actually, we won. That's what we're about. I had done so much and worked so hard to play for that school. I was just kind of, here he pauses to find the words, careful, but not too careful. Quote, almost embarrassed for them to tell me to apologize, end quote. But of course, Mayfield did say he was sorry. I begin to ask him how heartfelt that apology actually was on a scale of one to 10, but I can barely get the question out before he answers, quote, zero. He repeats himself forcefully looking me right in the eye so that I don't miss the point. Quote, zero, absolutely not, end quote. Baker Mayfield, genuine, honest, and now untethered to the school he dreamed of playing for when he was a kid. To me, the best thing about Baker Mayfield is the way he plays football. He's really, really good at it. But for a lot of people, I would suspect their favorite thing about Mayfield is his personality. He's fun. He's original. He's not afraid to be a jerk. For example... In that same GQ article, he said that he couldn't believe the Giants drafted Daniel Jones. Quote, blows my mind, Mayfield said. That take by Mayfield was essentially the same take we all had when the Giants took Jones with the sixth overall pick. But when you're Baker Mayfield and you're on the record talking to a reporter, he knew that information would get out and subsequently hold more weight because of who he is. And guess what? Baker doesn't care. Why should he? Mayfield doesn't owe anything to Daniel Jones. Mayfield knows he's much better than Daniel Jones. Will Jones be upset with Mayfield? Maybe. Probably. But as far as Baker is concerned, who cares? The ball is in Jones's court. It's up to him to become a good NFL quarterback. And what Jones put on tape in college was that of a NFL project quarterback, not a future franchise quarterback. Mayfield, on the other hand, is a franchise quarterback, and he knows that. Here's more from that GQ article. There's a real difference, Mayfield contends, between being arrogant and being certain. Quote, I'm not going to act like I have it all figured out, Mayfield says. Quote, I believe in myself. Some people think that's cocky, but if you don't believe you're any good, then I don't think you're going to have any success. If you go out there thinking you're going to fail, you're going to fail, which is just the truth, end quote. Mayfield's got the proper attitude to be an elite professional athlete, but most importantly, he's got the proper skill set to back up all his talk. His act, his shtick, it wouldn't work if he was Daniel Jones. Just ask Johnny Manziel. Baker Mayfield has everything you need to be a really good quarterback in the NFL. Arm strength, elite accuracy. He's got touch when needed, poise, very good pocket awareness, and the ability to extend the play when necessary. Oh, and he's a wizard on the chalkboard. He's been said to have a photographic memory, which I'm assuming comes in handy when he's surveying the Steelers' defense on third and eight. 
I've said it before, and I'll say it again. As long as Baker Mayfield continues to play well on the football field and continues to win games, he'll be given the benefit of the doubt when it comes to his on and off the field antics. He's been the same way his entire life, and he continues to exceed expectations. That's who he is. But if he goes through a stretch where he plays poorly and the Browns underachieve, it's going to be real easy for his detractors to pile on. Is that fair? I think it is. Mayfield could choose to be a silent, boring quarterback like most, but that's no fun. He's going to continue to be the same guy because that same guy continues to play well and win football games. To Baker, it's all part of the formula for success, and there's absolutely no need to apologize for that. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Keith Wedding on first down, and the fumble, and it's picked up, and it's going to be running. Tom Ward's going to run it in for a touchdown. Tom Wart welcomes us into the show this week. His 20-yard fumble return touchdown gave the Sooners a 58-6 lead over Ball State back in 2011. With this episode coming out on August 21st, we chose a Sooner who wore number 21 for the intro. All right, we're getting closer and closer to actual college football, less than two weeks now before Oklahoma's opener against Houston, and the Sooners officially have a starting quarterback. The decision to go with Jalen Hurts came a day or two before I thought it would, but either way, Lincoln Riley staying pretty consistent as he names a starter after camp has ended and school has started. We always knew it was going to be Hurts, but, uh, well, it was a more interesting question. I had I wrote this little intro before I talked to Lincoln Riley earlier today, but we do know also that uh, Tanner Mordecai is the backup quarterback, according to Lincoln Riley, and Spencer Rattler is the third-string quarterback. So that's the quarterback updates we have right now. We'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. Defensively, though, a lot more interesting news, I think. We've got a position update on Jalen Redmond. Last week, Grant and I argued about where the team wants to play him this season, and it turns out Grant was a lot closer to the truth than I was. I got a soundbite from Dusty Dvorak coming up in the show with some inside info on what he's seen from Redmond in practice. Plus, talk to Alex Grinch earlier tonight. We're recording this late Tuesday night. Got a soundbite from Alex Grinch. Very positive on the Jalen Redmond front. We'll play that as well. Also, Kyler Murray, a poor second preseason start. We got some talk on that. Plus, Baker Mayfield. We got some more on that GQ article coming up on the show today. We'll let Grant weigh in. I have some more thoughts on that as well. Before I bring in Grant for the first time, just want to remind you that West of Everest is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Our listenership is growing every single week. Seems like every new episode, we break a record for the number of listeners since we've been doing the show. So keep spreading the word. Tell your family. Tell your friends. Things are going to get much more fun once the season does begin. And if you've got some time and have not already, feel free to leave us a rating and or a review on iTunes. Just lift up your phone where it says tap to rate, leave your rating there, hopefully a five-star rating. And if you've got a second, click the part where it says write a review, and you can let us know what you think. And one final thing, and I think everyone out there that's somewhat new to the show, listen up, this is exciting news. Beginning next week, we are going to two episodes per week, and it all starts with our big season preview show, which will be released next Monday. That's the show where we'll make all of our bold season predictions for the Sooners as well as the rest of college football. Then later in the week, we'll have our full week one preview of the Houston Cougars. So it's been a long time coming, but we're almost finally back to football and some actual games to talk about. So that's all coming up next week. Without any further ado now, let's bring in Grant 
And kind of random, but Grant, he recently celebrated his one-year wedding anniversary. So congrats, Grant. I haven't given you congratulations yet. So here it is on the podcast. It's official. Thank you. It's very impressive existing for another year. Married. <laughs> yeah, a year ago at this time, I was in Europe, actually, if if there's any listeners that remember that. So that was... That was pretty fun, I guess, but it definitely made doing this show a little uh, little more difficult at this time of the year. Grant was in Europe, and before his wedding, we recorded the big season preview show. So we did it a little earlier than we would have liked, but we had to do it before he left the country. And then, though, before we previewed FAU, and those of you that are longtime listeners know this, Grant did the Florida Atlantic week one preview from, were you in Santorini? Yeah, I was in, in Greece. I was in Greece. I was overlooking the... Yeah, I, I was on the side of a rock, basically. Yeah, just overlooking the sea. It was pretty cool, and I got yelled at by some random lady for being oh, too that's loud. Right. Yeah, we had to stop the podcast, and yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so this year we don't we don't have that uh, that that's not in the way. You're going to be able to be in America to do the the big preview show and the week one preview. That's great. So uh, that'll be next week. Um, here we go. Let's do just real quick. I mean, I don't know what we can say about this. Jalen Hurts, he's the starting quarterback. A simple press release sent out Monday afternoon. Lincoln Riley in that release named Jalen Hurts Oklahoma starting quarterback for week one against Houston. As I said a moment ago, Lincoln Riley speaking on Tuesday night saying that Tanner Mordecai is the backup and Spencer Rattler is the third string quarterback. So Grant, now that we have a uh, conclusion to the quote unquote quarterback competition, are you still incredibly bored by this topic? Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. It's it's just we don't we don't know anything yet. We I, I don't I don't know anything until they actually play. So, um, and we know that we're not going to get anything substantive from the coaching staff, especially Lincoln Riley. On them, he's going to say the same thing about all of them. They they look good. They're all really close. All throwing the ball really well, doing what we're telling them to do. Um, so, no, I I I don't think we're going to have particularly anything interesting to say about the quarterback position until we see him play against Houston. And by he, I mean Jalen Hurts. Um, I don't know. Gun to your head right now. How many how many touchdown passes does Hurts throw this year if he plays all 12 games? Uh, well, hopefully be more than 12 then. Or Okay, well, you know what I meant. So like regular season? I, man, it's almost like how many touchdowns will he be accounted for? Because he's going to rush for a good amount. He's going to rush for a lot. I'm, but I'm I'm asking you specifically how Passing. many touchdowns. It doesn't matter. Just throw a number out there. Um, I'm going to say he throws for th- 33 touchdowns That's this year. That's literally what I was going to guess. No, it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I'll say he he punches it in like anywhere from six to ten times he's gonna he's gonna go i think he's gonna throw 33 touchdowns with six interceptions and he's gonna have like 10 to 12 rushing touchdowns as well that'd be a heck of a year yeah no that'd be a good year i mean that's probably his would probably be his best year right oh oh god yeah by a by a large large margin because i mean his freshman year of college he had a really good season i mean he had sec player of the year yeah yeah let's see looking back he Threw 23 touchdowns that season, had nine picks, and his rushing numbers that year, he ran for 13 touchdowns. He almost had 1,000 yards rushing his freshman year, which is not surprising. He he pulled it down and ran quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, he uh, and then wasn't, a good year. Wasn't, wasn't quite as quite as good throwing the ball his sophomore year, but he didn't turn it over really at all. No, he didn't. Only had one interception in 2017. And then had really good numbers last year, obviously, and pretty pretty limited action. So the only other thing I want to talk about quarterback-wise, I came into this show wanting to 
to talk a little bit about the backup quarterback position because I figured that was somewhat interesting and I wasn't sure if they were going to have anything settled. I had a feeling that maybe more uh, that uh, pardon me that Spencer Rattler might win the backup quarterback job based on some of the things that I've heard from Dusty Dvorak who has again joined News 9 as a contributor on the Oklahoma Ford Sports Blitz on Sundays and he'll be with us all throughout the entire football season. He's it's great to to have him on the show. Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to meet him yet because his first debut was a couple Sundays ago. I was out of town in in, El, or, uh, in California, and then this past Sunday, he was on the road in Bristol since he works for ESPN. But this Sunday, he's supposed to be in, in studio in Oklahoma City, so I'm looking forward to meeting him. But uh, he said some really nice things about Spencer Rattler. Kind of made me think that Rattler is a guy that – and here's the kind of topic I want to talk about. So even though Tanner Mordecai is the backup quarterback, Grant, let's say there's a situation where – Jalen Hurts can't go in, and it's like a, still a meaningful part of the game. I mean, this isn't fourth quarter against South Dakota, and, and the quarterbacks aren't just getting reps. Does Tanner Mordecai, is he the, really going to be the first guy that's put into the game, or is Riley actually going to be more confident? I mean, I, I, there's no way that you know this, but this is more just like a we're going to get opinions on it. Or do you really think, though, that maybe Spencer Rattler would come in because maybe he's just so much more talented? And it sounds like, according to Dvorak, he's – He's looking pretty good in practice. Well, I mean, if if he would go to Spencer Rattler in that situation, Spencer Rattler would be the backup quarterback. <laughs> I don't know. That's my point. Was is Mordecai kind of like the backup in name only in a way? Where it's no, like, yeah, he's no, a I don't. I, I, no, I don't think so. I think, I think, I think Mordecai is your backup. I mean, the guy he's he's been in the program. I mean, for like a year and a half longer than Spencer Rattler. You got to you got to remember that yeah. Rattler came in in June. He's only been here that long. Mordecai has been here since what I don't know the the winter of 2018 because I think he was an early enrollee. So, I mean, no, I mean, I I think it's it was it was obviously always going to be Mordecai, and it's not like he's chopped liver. The coaches have always had really good things to say about him, and um, if you read any of the insider stuff, you know that he's always performed well behind the scenes. So yeah, my my bold prediction it's not that bold, but I just kind of have a feeling that. By the end of the season, I think Spencer Rattler will have taken more snaps than Tanner Mordecai. I think well, maybe, he'll end up being I, the I guy could, that I could definitely that we think see. Is the I could definitely see some sort of like scenario where um, they both get into games, like in mop up duty, and and Rattler is just significantly better, and he overtakes him that way. But also, I think you're probably giving a little short shrift in that situation to Mordecai. Um, maybe and maybe you're right yeah we haven't seen enough of Mordecai in fact the most we've seen of Mordecai was from this past spring game where he uh, poise is certainly not a not a word I would use to describe that that outing uh, from from Tanner Mordecai he did not look good yeah it may not be fair but I mean it's one of those situations where I know it's a spring game and everyone kind of kind of shrugs it off like yeah it's just a spring game but when you're a player like like Tanner Mordecai I mean you kind of have to play well in those scenarios you have to show out you have to prove yourself to be a player that looks comfortable and good and and Jalen Hurts looked comfortable and good and Tanner Mordecai didn't and he didn't have the same kind of excuse that Kyler Murray and Austin Kendall could have used the year before when the weather was just so bad the wind was blowing 50 60 mile an hour gusts either right into their face or uh, right at their back and both of them kind of looked shaky in the spring you know Mordecai didn't really have that excuse he just yeah he didn't play all that well he had a he, he flashed a little bit but Hurts was a lot better but to Mordecai's credit, like you said, he's been here longer, and Rattler didn't come here in the spring. I don't know if he had an opportunity to, and he, and he decided not to or not. I, I don't know enough, that much about the kid or recruiting, but um, yeah, that's that's definitely going to hold him back a little bit. 
Rattler, so, as far as experience goes, yeah. And, and I think everyone's excited to see Rattler, and we're going to see him. We're going to see him week two against South Dakota. So, um, or at least probably, I, I would assume. We'll see probably a lot of Mordecai and Rattler, hopefully, in that game. Yeah, because I can't imagine Mike... Uh, Mike. I'm, I was going to talk about Mike Gundy. I can't imagine Lincoln Riley doing the same thing that Mike Gundy did a se- uh, season ago with his electric true freshman quarterback, Spencer Sanders, where he didn't put Sanders in in any game, even though the redshirt rule now allows you to play up to four games, Gundy didn't play Sanders at all, and I know a lot of OSU fans were not happy about that. It's hard to imagine Riley just not playing Rattler at all. <laughs> like they have that rule for a reason. I think Riley likes that rule. He said he likes that rule. That's, he likes to know that he can play some guys. That's like the correct application of the rule. It's supposed to. It's supposed to mm-hmm. give guys reps when games are like out of control. That was the whole. That's the whole spirit of the rule. So. Um, exactly yeah yeah exactly so I, I i i i definitely anticipate to see rattler in week two and um if we see him you know in any other week besides that that'll leave that could mean there's a lot of injuries or it could also mean the sooners are beating up on a lot of people um but we'll see but i mordecai should absolutely be ready to play as the backup hurts has has struggled with some injuries the last couple years I think he had kind of some shoulder issues his sophomore year, and then he was working through an ankle thing pretty much all last year at Bama. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like not like Jalen Hurts is, is like a steel tank back there who's never been hurt. And Riley did bring up, though, last week just how fortunate Oklahoma has been in his tenure at OU with quarterback health. I mean, there hasn't been any problems. So hopefully that continues. I don't know what it is. I mean, there's got to be something to – the play calling or I mean obviously the offensive lines have been fantastic and I mean Kyler Murray was very smart about avoiding hits and Baker Mayfield smart too so what uh, Mayfield was not smart about avoiding hits at all okay well yeah I guess he He had a little bit of that shoulder it's it's more of 17 yeah it's it's more of like a it's more of a a miracle that Mayfield never got hurt in the three (laughs) years I mean he was I was watching this past weekend I was kind of watching back some games from 2015 and, and you can tell he toned it down a little bit later in his career. But in 2015, man, he was running like a fullback a lot of the times. And so I, it, it, it kind of... He was excited to be back out there, man. Yeah, it, 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 reminded me, it reminded me how, how much I was just biting my fingernails all, that entire season. Because the guy, I mean, whenever he went down, I was always scared that he was going to be hurt because he just, he threw his body everywhere. Okay, but, yeah, you're right. But, you're Ky- right. Yeah, but he, Kyler, he did didn't, down. Kyler didn't really take any contact really at all. Until Quinnen Williams, yeah, that was it. That was that was the one like real good yeah. hit he took last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing on quarterbacks, I'll throw it out there. We haven't talked about it all off air at all either. But have you had a chance at all to watch any of that Netflix QB one? No. With Spencer Rattler, probably won't watch it. I mean, come on, you got to watch it because it's a player that's on OU now. I watched the first episode because I figured. I mean, I feel like it's probably smart just to watch this because you could learn some stuff about Spencer Rattler. Uh, it's the format is it follows three different players and they just kind of bounce around to each player and one episode there's no games it's all kind of preseason I think this is before the 2018 season so last fall and so I, I mean I'm, I might get to the point where I just kind of fast forward to the Rattler parts because honestly I don't have a whole lot of interest in in that format really those shows to be honest with you I kind of just would like to learn more about Rattler but that's why I'm not that's why I'm not going to watch I'm just not interested in the format of the show I don't yeah it's not like a not trying to be like a divisive or anything I'm just not interested yeah I'm just wondering he definitely comes off as a guy who is incredibly cocky and sure of himself and 
he's backed it up. I mean, he's been really good. So I'm looking forward to seeing how how he's portrayed the rest of the series. He'll fit right in the QB or the OU QB room. If, if that, <laughs> I mean, the last two Heisman Trophy winners. I would say guys who definitely go about it differently, but two guys who who certainly are confident in in, in their own abilities. Yeah, knowing now what we know about Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, I mean, how cool would it be to have been in that quarterback room during those, I guess, what is it, a couple years that they were both there together. Obviously, Murray, the backup, and had a red shirt one year. I guess it was three years they were there. Because, I mean, Murray didn't say a whole lot, and Mayfield's always opening his mouth and having fun and stuff like But I... Lincoln Riley might have to write a separate I mean he'll probably write multiple books or if he wants to but he could write a separate book about the time where Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray were in his quarterback room and I'd like to hear some stories about how they bounced ideas off each other you imagine if how they competed do you imagine if if both of them like went on to like to the Hall of Fame or something and and Lincoln Riley is this Hall of Fame coach as well yeah yeah, there there definitely would be books written on that wouldn't there oh yeah like about I mean there'd be plenty of offers towards all three guys hey I'll write a book for you. Hey, come on, let's do this. I wonder what it, I, I. I wonder if most of it would just be, or like the bat the background of it would mostly just be you know, a Baker just just chatting everyone's ears off. Kyler just sitting there in the corner, just like a silent assassin, just you know, <laughs> just yeah. remembering everything perfectly, but not speaking a lot and thinking, man, when I get out there, I'm I'm gonna be awesome because I'm awesome because <laughs> that's kind of just how I I carry myself. All right. Uh, nothing else on the offense. Again, we're recording this Tuesday night. The offensive assistants and players are scheduled to talk tomorrow on Wednesday, the 21st, when this podcast has already been released. So we wanted to get this going tonight because I didn't know if we'd have time to record it Wednesday and I didn't know if we'd have time to do it Thursday. So we don't have any other offensive sound bites or anything like that on that side of the ball. But uh, the only other kind of offensive piece of news, and I don't know how much we want to touch on this, Grant. I know this is public knowledge now. You told me about this uh, today. It sounds like Eric Swenson is is kind of going through a bit of a bit of an injury right now. That's according to the football brainiacs. And uh, again, I don't know how much we want to spin on this, but what do we know? What are they reporting on that website? Well, essentially, all we know at this point is that. He was held out of the scrimmage this past weekend for, and I think they said it was a, it was something to do with his shoulder, dealing with some sort of shoulder thing, and uh, that in his stead, it's it's been R.J. Proctor and Stacy Wilkins taking the reps at, at left tackle, and that's that's all we know. We don't know the severity of it. We don't know if he's going to miss any time. Just that this is this is something that he's going through, and um, we kind of talked about this pretty much all off season leading up to this, but. Um, thinking maybe someone would probably sneak up and take Eric Swenson's job because he was the presumed starter in the spring. And it all news from camp is that that is not the case at all, is that he's actually one of the more entrenched members of that offensive line, it seems like. So um would certainly not be good to to lose a starting offensive lineman in, in fall camp. That's not not a good thing. Not great, Bob. So uh but still at the same time we don't we don't know what's going on. We we don't we it wasn't confirmed by the coaches you said today any of them maybe tomorrow um who right, knows yeah so in case you're wondering you're thinking hey i mean you you said you talked to lincoln riley today well didn't that come up here's the thing we it was all quarterback talk nothing about the offensive line or swinson was asked they only gave us about five to six minutes with lincoln riley here's what happened 
uh, it was just it, I, it was a tough day for for OU and they must have been running behind. I don't know what it was, but uh, at about five forty nine, uh, they told us that Lincoln had to be pretty quick with this because he had to be somewhere. He had an event at six o'clock. So eleven minutes before the the time he was supposed to be there, they told us that he had to be very quick. So. Yeah, all the questions were quarterback related. So the only information, in my opinion, that was really notable is is the fact that Mordecai is the backup, Rattler is the third string. Everything else outside of that, I don't recall anything else being very groundbreaking. And Lincoln Riley continues to do a great job of being very respectful, very nice with us in the media, but also not really saying a whole lot, like a pro. Man, he is. So, yeah, I, Bob Stoops is is just is very very proud of his protege. That is that is for sure. <laughs> I, I'm glad it, it does. It does really seem like Alex Grinch will will tell you some stuff when you talk to him, and so I certainly appreciate that. And so maybe uh, having Alex Grinch to talk to all season long will be a, a, you know a, a lot better for our souls because we're not getting anything out of Lincoln Riley ever. Yes, Alex Grinch will tell us stuff, and in fact. When we talked about the defense here coming up, we got a lot of kind of notes and stuff, and I sent you over kind of the the transcript or the, the notes of what Grinch said tonight. So there's some interesting things. So let, let's do that. Let's move over to the defense. And the big story coming out for us for this podcast, I think for, for all of it, though, is Jalen Redmond. And Jalen Redmond, it looks like, is going to be a defensive lineman this year. And last week you and I debated what position he was going to play. And I was holding firm that he's a great candidate for that rush linebacker spot in Alex Grinch's defense. And uh, for you, on your side, you were just kind of unsure about it because Redmond was working with the defensive line group when we saw him out at practice back on Monday, August the 12th. Well, as I find uh, this soundbite, because I'm not prepared, hold on. Where is it? There we go. This is great podcasting. So we're going to enter Dusty Dvorak, and I mentioned him a little bit earlier. Let's play some sound from him. He shared some information on News 9 this past weekend about what he's seen from Jalen Redmond at practice, and this is stuff that I hadn't heard at all yet, and it perked my ears up. I think he'll play in this defense, uh, more of a hand-down defensive end. I think it's possible at times they stand him up, but uh, based off what I've seen and heard, I think they want to put his hand in the ground, and I do think he's going to have a chance to be an impactful player this season. I think he possesses the best pure pass rush ability along that defensive front when you're talking working your hands and your hips and being able to beat offensive linemen. The skill set is there. I just hope that the health is able to stay with him this year. If so, I expect he's going to make some plays for the Sooner defense. So add Jalen Redmond to the list of players that I thought would be a great rush linebacker candidate, but he's not even being tried out there. It sounds like, at least. I mean, not a big list, but did think Caleb Kelly was the other guy who was going to be perfect for that position, and before he was injured, he wasn't working out there. So, Grant, Dusty says Redmond's being worked as a defensive end in practice. What's your reaction to this news? I feel like this is the universe trying to tell us something. You uh, you bring up Caleb Kelly and Jalen Redmond as your rush linebacker spot, and it ends up being John Michael Terry. Bet you didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> no, it's... I mean, he's. It seems like JMT's the guy right now, but there's a lot of other players at that spot that are rotating in and out. They're For trying sure. to figure out who the best one is. Yeah, and so yeah, I I kind of I I sort of I sort of saw the writing on the wall with this with Jalen Redmond just because, and I mentioned this last week. Never came up when talked about rush linebackers. 
any pictures I had seen of him. It looked like he was with the defensive line grouping. And um, I think it just with his measurables, I guess I haven't seen enough of him um, in, in live action to see how he moves in space, reportedly moves really well in space. Um, I think just in listening to what Alex Grinch said today during the media availability, you don't have anything from him, but he said that, you know, he's still actually, you, do you have that, that clip of, of Grinchley? I have, yeah, I have more, I have a clip of Grinch talking about Redmond. Yeah. yeah so if it's so, okay, so you want to transition into that. Sure. And, and play well, that. sure. But Grinch says something along the lines of he, he still looks like a guy who's, who's, who hasn't played football in a long time. And yes. You know, for someone like that, I don't know if throwing him out there at rush linebacker where in this defense you probably have a little more responsibility than a defensive lineman. Uh, for a guy who hasn't played football really in a while, pretty much since his senior year of high school, and before that had only played football for a year before his senior year of high school, I think. Um, he had played, yeah, he had played, he played his junior year and his senior year. He played two years of high school ball. Sure. And I just think being on the defensive line allows him, probably allows, frees him up a little bit to be athletic. And, and be just sort of the athletic freak that he's supposed to be while he puts it all together, while he gets used to the speed of the game. Um, and also, they need size on the defensive line. They're, they're not a particularly big defensive line. And uh, getting a guy who is big and can, and can move really well on, on that line is going to be a boon for them, obviously. All right, so... You know, that's the big news from Dusty. That's what Dusty has seen. He's, he's heard and seen that about Redmond playing defensive end, putting his hand into the ground. But from Alex Grinch, though, another big piece of news that came out of the availability Tuesday night is that Redmond is taking full contact and he is full go. And if you've listened to this podcast for a little bit of time, we've talked about in the past, like once we find out that Redmond is taking contact and is able to get in there and take hits, that's a big news story because that means that he has been cleared. I mean, they think he's good to go and he can play. And so that is confirmed tonight. Alex Grinch on Tuesday saying that he is full go. Uh, taking full contact in practice, and I asked Grinch, uh, you know, I asked Grinch about that, and then he went on to talk more about Jalen Redmond, and here's what Alex Grinch had to say. Full go, no, no issues, no setbacks, no, uh, you know, nothing, and so, you know, what you see, though, is you, guys, you see a guy had to play football a long time, you know, so you got to, in fairness to him, you know, it, 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 football's hard, you know, and so there's a reason we practice. You know, and so it, it's not, uh, you certainly see some physical gifts, and oh man, do you see them, you know, but, uh, you know, doing it playing and play out and learning, he didn't have spring football, so he didn't have the, the opportunity some of these other guys have uh, from a mental standpoint. And the same thing, again, what, what's the best use of him? We're still trying to figure that out. Obviously, a big body that can run. Uh, believe me, we'll find a spot for him. And uh, he's only gotten better and better each each and every day, but has shown flashes and, uh, uh, no, excited about Jalen. So, my be- favorite part of that was, you know, they're, they're not really sure they're going to put him, but believe me, we're going to find a spot for him. And Alex Grinch is excited about Jalen Redmond, but you brought it up a little bit ago, and now we heard Grinch say it. He said, you can tell he hasn't played a lot of football. He is trying to get back into the swing of things, so he's trying to kind of, I don't know if they're limiting it, if that's the right word, but they're, they're still being somewhat cautious. But, again, he said that full go, full contact, no limitations, that's a good sign. Uh, all at the same time, though, you could tell Grinch being a bit coy, saying they're not really quite sure what they want to do with them. Although then we heard from Dusty a moment ago that Dusty's seen him putting his hand in the ground, playing defensive end. And so, Lee, and now uh, now that you mentioned that, go into you, you talked to Ronnie Perkins as well after. So go into what you talked to Ronnie Perkins about, because then I'm going to I'm going to kind of lay this all out. <laughs> 
So Ronnie Perkins comes out. He's the last guy Tuesday night defensively to talk. And I love talking to Ronnie Perkins. He's just a guy that every every time he talks, he just seems so happy to be there. And he just says nice things. And he's really excited about the defense. And he talks about how Alex Grinch wants to makes him want to run through a wall. Uh, so, you know, I asked – I didn't get a chance to follow up with Alex Grinch and just kind of ask him, hey, I know that uh, – I couldn't help but notice when you talked about the rush linebackers, and we'll talk a little bit more about the rush linebackers later, but uh, you didn't mention Jalen Redmond, so I was going to ask him, is it appropriate to assume that Redmond's playing a, a spot on the defensive line because we saw him out there with the defensive line group. I didn't get a chance to ask Alex Grinch that because, again, a lot of people around Alex Grinch, a lot of people asking questions, and you know, sometimes you only get one or two in. So I thought, okay, I'll try to maybe ask Ronnie Perkins. I know it's he's a player, so – you always want to try to ask those kind of positional questions to coaches, but you know, I tried to, I thought, you know, I'll try to formula, you know, make this a certain question to where I think it's kind of a fun question, but maybe he'll give me something. And so I asked Ronnie Perkins, I said, Hey, you know, Jalen Redman, cause he was talking about Jalen before multiple times. And he said he was really happy and really excited to see him get out there and everybody on the defensive line group. He did mention the defensive line group, by the way, whenever uh, he said that he got out there for the first time with the pads on and everybody was really happy for him. So Perkins did mention that. Yeah. He's been with the defensive line group. I said, Ronnie, you know, Jalen, he's a real big guy. You know, is he out there? Is he repping with you in practice? Is, is he being put in other spots around the defensive line? Kind of like, what's he been doing out there? And Ronnie Perkins said, well, I can't really speak to that, but I just, I'm really excited about Jalen Redmond and, and everything that he can bring to the team. So your reaction to that, you, you thought that was kind of interesting when I told you that story uh, off air. Oh, yeah. I'm just adding more fuel to the fire with my – with my Lincoln Riley aggressively coaches his players to talk to the media. Hot take. Um, yeah, I did kind of think it was interesting that he said I couldn't speak to that. More fuel I mean, to the fire there. Ronnie Perkins knows where Perkins knows where Jalen Redmond's been repping and working on practice. Obviously, well, of he course has. he has. Like, yeah, um, no. And so let's lay this out with Jalen Redmond. Then, so I think there's here's what's going on with Jalen Redmond. There's there's a handful of possibilities here. So possibility one is that. He is. I, I, we all agree that he's a freak athlete who's a talented guy, um, who you know who could be an X factor for OU. But but he could also be um, a guy who, like Alex Grinch said, has not played football in a long time, and it's taken him a while to get back into the swing of things. Maybe he's thinking too much out there. That's typically what I think of if somebody says it looks like they haven't played in a long time. It means you know you can definitely see the wheels turning in there. Um, or number two, it could be. They really like Jalen Redmond. He is going to be a big part of this defense, so much so to the point where they want to be kind of coy of what uh, of of what they say about him because they don't want any info to get out there because they want you know their defense to be a bit of a surprise. Is that fair to say, is, or is that is that a fair theory to to formulate? It can be. It's just my my rebuttal of that would be well after week one, it's all out of the bottle and. Who cares? So I guess you're getting only you're getting a bit of an advantage, I suppose, for week. But why would they be so? Yeah, but why would still? Why would they be so coy and and not just confirm what position he's playing? I don't know. Like I don't know my yeah my my thought process behind it is more they're still trying to kind of ease him in. I kind of like your idea of him being the defensive line. The responsibilities aren't quite there, aren't quite maybe as as big as a rush linebacker where he might be asked to you know drop back into coverage and think a little bit more. Uh, You know and. My first thought kind of when I heard Dusty say that thing and kind of knowing he's with the defensive line, but he's not with the rush linebacker group, 
you know, maybe he's a guy who they're going to kind of spell and kind of split time or maybe put in as a situational pass rusher, take Ronnie Perkins off the field or put both those guys on the field at the same exact time, even though and maybe take the, the rush linebacker off the field when they want to go boom, boom on both sides of the ball with good edge rushers. We're just speculating here, but that's kind of what I thought about Redmond. Because, again, I will maintain that he is going to be – I think he's one of the best 11, and he's a guy that they're going to want to get in there. It's just how much of this is his – where he's at talent-wise and how he fits in the defense and how much of this is them still just like what Alex Grinch said. He hasn't played a lot of football, and he's trying to get back into the swing of things, and they don't want to rush him too much. And also, is it a possibility – and I brought this up last week as well – is that maybe it's going to take him a month to kind of get the swing of things. And maybe he isn't going to be a huge – uh, force on the defense in the first month of the Maybe. season. Yeah. Like, I mean, he, when somebody says, Oh, he looks like somebody who hasn't played football in a long time. I, I think that's a fair, that, that, that's a fair conclusion to maybe come to. Yeah. Or at least it wouldn't shock me. And maybe, maybe all of us have been uh, a little, a little over eager to, to kind of anoint him at this point in time. And maybe that maybe. was, maybe yeah. that was kind of unfair. And because we have such a small sample size of what he did last season, and it was so good. Yeah, he looks good. And it seemed like he was just so <laughs> so obviously one of the better players. And granted, he did it against Kansas State, but for the most part against Kansas State. And who TCU. Was not that good of a team. A little bit against TCU, too. Yeah, I mean, two of the worst offenses in the conference. So it's not like he was out there doing it against Oklahoma State or uh, you know Texas or, I mean, any of the, the big boys. But still, I mean, it was enough to entice us to think this guy is a player who is is certainly ready for prime time, given you know if he's healthy. So again, this is like the Jalen Redmond podcast. If you've been listening to this podcast for the last five months or so, I mean, we're all over it, and I I am encouraged. You know, again, I've I've totally evolved my position. We had a podcast title months ago saying that I, I want to be wrong about the Jalen Redmond prediction that I we hope we're wrong and. I went from thinking that he's never going to play again to flipping and thinking that he could be a starter. And I'm I'm so happy at this point that I look like I'm horribly wrong about that initial prediction because I've learned a lot more about blood clots and kind of makes all that sense. Stuff. Uh, it's, it's great, yeah. Kind of makes sense if you really think about it. Why why this would turn into the Jalen Redmond podcast? Where I mean, fan base of a of a defense that has been atrocious the last two years and yeah. really a, a program that has been kind of bereft of any sort of impact defensive lineman in the last decade and this kind of freaky this freakishly athletic pass rusher comes along and yeah of course we're enamored with him I, I think every football fan in 2019 understands the the impact an elite pass rusher can have on a defense or you know the impact that elite pass rusher can have on an opposing offense I mean it's it's certainly not insignificant it's a big deal and so it just it just all depends on 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 what kind of person Jalen Redmond's going to be? If I gun to my head right now, I'd say I'd. It sounds like it's. It might take him a while to to get into the swing of things, and that's okay. Uh, but it's okay in the sense that it it makes sense because the guy just hasn't played a ton of football. Yeah, that's true. And you get a little more excited about it too because if he can be a player that does stand out and is a difference maker, you mix that in with a guy like Ronnie Perkins, who we saw have a good true freshman year, and he's got talent, and he's in a. Uh, probably a better defensive scheme now. You throw in Neville Gallimore, who we both think is going to be really good in this Alex Grinch defense. He was the best player on defense last year for Oklahoma. And then you also throw in this new guy that's come in that sounds like he is maybe going to be a starter as well in Leron Stokes, who had a bunch of positive things said about uh, him today by Alex Grinch. And so let's move on to Leron Stokes. And 
we kind of got this list of all the things that Grinch touched on. And I think that uh, today, the defensive availability, Alex Grinch made the most news. I talked to some of the players. They said a couple of okay things, but nothing really stood out to me. But Alex Grinch had some good stuff, and he said that Laron Stokes continues to impress, had a really good camp. And later on, he was asked about Stokes again. And Grinch said that, and this is a quote, he said, Stokes has been as consistent as any guy on that defense from literally day one, end quote. And he said that he's been trying Stokes at a couple different spots up front just to see which spot is best for him. And he said that they do, they've done that with multiple guys. Sounds like they're doing that with with uh, Jalen Redmond as well. Uh, but Grinch added that he's done a tremendous job. This is Laron Stokes mentally plays hard physically. And he ended it by saying that we take a guy like Laron Stokes every single year. If we can find one, he's been really impressive. So he's a guy that I think is going to be a starter on this defense inside along with Neville Gallimore and uh, couldn't be more happy with the stuff we heard about Laron Stokes today. Yeah, I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking if you got, if you got Stokes, Gallimore, Perkins, and Redmond all on the on the field together at the same time, I, I mean, I can't help but think that's that's a pretty formidable front four, especially rushing the passer. I gotta think, mm-hmm. or at least at least a, a, as formidable as or formidable as one as they've had in recent memory. So I mean, this good. is it, it. Sounds that sounds really good, and uh, I guess yeah. Right now, I. After listening to the coaches talk about this guy and and just and also what we heard about from him in the spring, I'm really excited to watch Laron Stokes. <laughs> no, I am too. I am so, too. I, I Isaiah mean, Thomas, I would say Isaiah Thomas came out to talk to the media today as well. Didn't get a whole lot from him, but I mean he's another player that you know who's could have a role in this defense. This is his third year in the program, and yeah, this in general, I think the defensive line group is a group that we're all kind of excited about because it's. It hasn't been like a group that stood out a whole lot, but it hasn't been bad. And now they're in a scheme that I think is supposed to to highlight their strengths more than it has in the past. And that's every level of the defense. This scheme is supposed to highlight and and elevate everybody. But uh, I mean, you hear the linebackers talk, Deshaun White today, and also Kenneth Murray. Every time they talk, and I know uh, uh, Levi Draper mentioned this too last week, like. They all say these awesome things about the defensive linemen always getting upfield, and they're just making the job for the linebackers that much easier because they're able to, to be clear and run around and make plays. So whatever they're doing up front, I don't remember hearing a lot about this last year at this time, about how the defensive linemen are, are making it easy on the linebackers to make plays and run around more. So it, it does seem different to me hearing it. And you know, maybe I'm just it's, – it's recency bias. Maybe I did hear that, and I'm just, I blocked it out because last year was so traumatic, but I don't recall it. I don't recall hearing this kind of positive stuff from the linebackers talking about the defensive linemen. Uh, let's see. Anything else? What I sent you this this list of notes from Grinch Grant. What else is jumping out at you? What does you want to talk about? What about stick with the defensive line or go sure. somewhere else? He so Marcus Stripling and, and Nick Benito. Did he did he elaborate on those guys at all? Because I, I see you have him that here in your notes, it, it looks like Grinch mentioned those guys. Yes. Okay, so here's what happened. Grinch was asked about the rush linebacker position and how that's shaping out, uh, playing you know opposite of Ronnie Perkins. And so Grinch started the answer by bringing up Perkins and saying that, yeah, Perkins has played some edge rusher, which I took that as Perkins is playing his defensive end role. And then he added that Marcus Stripling is also playing that spot as well. So it sounds like Marcus Stripling has been playing that defensive end role along with Ronnie Perkins and he mentioned that Stripling his ceiling is very very high and he's kind of out there just kind of competing to see what kind of role he has 
So Stripling sounds like he's playing on the defensive line. Meanwhile, the rush linebacker spot, and I'm going to go in in uh, the order of which he named players. He mentioned John Michael Terry first. He says he's done some good things at rush linebacker. He's a high motor type player. Then he mentioned Nick Benito. He's had a tremendous fall. And he mentioned that, this is Grinch, mentioned that uh, Benito showed flashes in the spring. He said back in the spring, he probably had one play a day and then three plays that were negative. And then he says now in the fall, that equation has flipped. So it sounds like Benito has made some progress from the spring to the fall. Then he added that David o- David Obwebu and Joseph Wette are a couple of young guys there with a high ceiling at that position as well. Uh, but he said kind of like, you know, what's the role going to be? You know, we're, we're just kind of rotating guys in there as well. So he mentioned all of those guys in relation to the rush linebacker spot. But the first player was John Michael Terry. And so it sounds like JMT is the, the guy that's got that spot locked up. Yeah, I mean that's what it sounds like. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm really interested in Marcus Stripling. Um, mostly just I, I'm, I'm interested in any sort of defensive lineman. I mean I, I think that's fair to say. So whenever I hear if anyone says something on the lines of a ceiling being very, very high for a for a defensive lineman, my ears are going to perk up right away. So and, and and Stripling wasn't a guy who I was necessarily expecting to step in right away and and make an impact. But um, I mean, geez, they they they. They got a lot of guys on the defensive line there, and if Alex Grinch is calling you out and you're a true freshman, that's that's pretty impressive. Well, Alex Grinch, you could tell he he wanted to make a point today to really name a lot of names. He was trying not to leave a lot of people out. So he wanted to kind of get on the record with some guys and kind of shout some people out and highlight some players. So if he mentioned you, it sounds like you're having a pretty good camp. I mean, Stripling's a big dude. I mean, he's listed at 6'3", 257. I mean, that's, that's kind of about the same – same size as Perkins uh, about Perkins goes six three two forty eight, so I mean they're about the same same build roughly and uh yeah one of those true freshman guys that uh yeah, who knows sounds like he's having a good camp let's see so that's kind of the defensive line rush linebacker stuff like that I, I kind of got the sense just linebackers in general he was asked about general linebacker depth and Grinch said that they're thinner than they want to be but you know they got enough to compete on Saturdays they have enough for a full two deep in terms of just having enough guys to get out there and get lined up but and he mentioned you know certain players and things like that but I just I'm, I'm not getting a great feel with the linebacker group right now I, I, maybe it's just from this one day it just didn't come off that great but to me it kind of sounds right now that it's Kenneth Murray and Deshaun White and Ryan Jones and, and Levi Me- Draper. Those I mean, are the Brian four. Mead was Brian Mead was mentioned by Grinch today too. I think Mead's uh, been Mead's been kind of out all camp with an injury though. So okay, yeah. I mean, I think he mentioned Mead in terms of experience he's had. I don't I don't recall Grinch mentioning Levi Draper today. So I, I don't. I just kind of want to throw that out there. I'm just not getting the best feel for the linebacker group. That is so interesting. That for what I, it's worth. I don't know. What, what did he did he say more about? about Ryan Jones that kind of surprises me because last I, I feel like last time coaches were on the record about Ryan Jones it was more of like a up oh, you know he just made the switch to linebacker so has a lot to learn basically coach speak for yeah he looks pretty terrible right now Ryan Jones was the very first player Alex Grinch mentioned tonight brought up when he was asked about position battles he's he wanted to make a point to highlight Ryan Jones says in the last week or so he's taken a big step so take that for what it's worth I'm not quite sure what position Ryan Jones is playing. I'm guessing he's, he's at that will spot. Yeah, he's a weak side linebacker behind Deshaun yeah. White, presumably right now. But because um, yeah, then he mentioned that Deshaun. So he made it seem like Deshaun White and Ryan Jones are battling for that starting will linebacker spot. So 
you know, maybe Jones has done something in the last week to to elevate his stock and put him up there with Deshaun White, or maybe Deshaun White has done something to fall. But uh, Deshaun White talked to the media uh, today on Tuesday, and uh, Ryan Jones did not. I mean, I don't know how much stock you put into who comes out there to talk to the media, but um, I mean, who knows? Deshaun I- White. Deshaun White's talked to the media a lot. Okay, spring and and fall. Yeah, I don't I don't anticipate Deshaun White not starting in in a week and a half. I don't. It, this is the first I've heard of of Ryan Jones being on the heels of really anyone, presumably. So, um, first guy you mentioned. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, it's cool. Like, awesome. I hope Ryan Jones has. You know, I hope he emerges and is awesome. That sounds great. Like, I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll take I'll take anybody being awesome right now. So, I mean, this is probably the the longest we've gone talking about the defense without bringing up the secondary. Would you say? Because it, normally it seems like the secondary is the first thing we talk about when we go over to the defense. I mean, for good uh, reason, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the only kind of secondary news-ish that came out from Alex Grinch's availability, uh, and just for the record, the only defensive back that came out to talk tonight was Jordan Parker, and he's been getting talked up real nice by Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch said that he's been impressed with Parker. He's excited for him, and he said he's a guy that he's going to have a role for the team this year. Uh, but the only uh, piece of kind of news, I think, that came out, Alex Grinch was asked about the nickel position, how that's going since Trey Norwood went down. And the first person that Grinch highlighted is Chance Sylvie, or was Chance Sylvie. And he mentioned that Sylvie's been playing hard. He kind of moved him to that role, and he's done some good things there. And then in addition to Chance Sylvie, after that, he mentioned Brendan Radley-Hiles, who's also spent some time there. So... Uh, you know, I obviously not seeing practice, and if you're going to base things off of who gets mentioned first, potentially maybe Chance Sylvie has slotted himself in now as maybe the favorite to win the Nickelback job. Which, if that's the case, great for him. I Chance Sylvie is a guy who I thought going into last season could be a p- player to potentially start for him, and then he kind of he had some more injuries and kind of got banged up, and so I mean he's in 2017, he was a guy that was on the field had a role. Uh, I think he's a four-star player, and he's kind of getting to the end of his career. So, I mean, if he's making moves and, and maybe this defense is kind of elevating him, maybe he's a guy that we see starting in the secondary <laughs> against he's, Houston. He's definitely kind of more of what you're looking for in, in terms of prototypical size at that position, I think. I think he's a guy you're probably much more comfortable kind of getting his nose in there, like in the box, um, than someone like Buki. Uh, having that been said, I, Chance Sylvie is never a guy who's really stood out to me as a as a guy who covers particularly well, um, and and mostly it's 2017 is what we have to judge him on, and um, you know not not a whole lot to go there. But I mean, Sylvie is he's fine. We'll, we'll see. But I think a lot of the, a lot of guys here get get kind of a new life with this defense. So um, I'll I will I will wait to comment on it until I see him play the position. Um, but I don't know. I, I I want a guy who can cover in that position. But at the same time, yeah. there's your with the defense they're playing right now, or what they're potentially going to be playing. They might open themselves up for to get gashed in the run game every now and then. And and I could see why you would want someone with the size of of Sylvie in there to maybe plug the holes. But um, I I don't know what is going on right now with any of it. And maybe at it in some ways it's frustrating. In some ways it's kind of exciting it's sort of like yeah it'll be a surprise as he was actually out there on on the first day on the first game sure uh, only other piece of defensive news i have is i texted you and i kind of made a joke because a, a week ago a little more than a week ago when we last saw practice on a monday i think jason kersey was the first one from the athletic that kind of 
highlighted this and tweeted it out, but Oklahoma added a new defensive back to its roster recently named Austin Jackson and uh, is a Clemson transfer. And so I think I texted you saying, like, gosh, what, watch this, this Clemson transfer end up having like a significant role just because they're just so uh, – they're just not great, uh, you know, in the secondary. And uh, you kind of said, well, that'd be bad because obviously – he didn't play a whole lot at Clemson. But anyways, the reason I bring that up is that he was asked about uh, – Grinch was asked about this guy tonight, and Grinch didn't say a whole lot. He said this Austin Jackson, he's on the scout team. So he's just behind. He's on the scout team. So I wouldn't expect him to factor into really anything right now. Yeah, he's, he's not. He he played in four games at Clemson in his career, presumably all on special teams. So he's not a – and he was a walk-on there anyway. So Okay. Uh, any other thoughts on Oklahoma's defense or the team in general, Grant? Or uh, is, that, is that about it for this pod as far as uh, the current state of Oklahoma football? Yeah, it would be nice if we had uh, you know tomorrow night's offensive uh, availability to go on as well. But I think Alex Grinch finally, or someone from the coaching staff, finally gave us some, uh, some fodder to talk about for sure. So, um, God, we're getting so close. We can finally say the season starts next week now. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, we're getting stuff. there. And so and I think later on in this later on in the show we're we're probably going to have a few words about the the first actual college football game which happens this weekend. So um getting really close, getting really excited for sure. All right, so what would you rather talk about first next? Kyle Murray and his not great preseason game 2 or do you want to talk about that Baker Mayfield GQ article? Because well, let's let, let's talk about Kyler first, just to just because I feel like we'll probably talk about Baker more, just because that okay. seems that seems to be the theme of our podcast. So, um, and and because and you and I have already talked about Kyler Murray, and you know I don't have a ton to say about this, but who knows? Maybe you'll say something stupid, and I'll have to I'll have to call you out. <laughs> well, I mean. We want to be intellectually honest on this podcast. We are not homers, and I think it would be really easy for us to watch that Kyler Murray second preseason game performance and try to just nitpick and pick out all these little things and make excuses for him as to why he didn't play all that well and uh, kind of say, ah, no, it's fine. But, but I mean, I think it's, it's alarming that it didn't go very well. And I know that Arizona is not putting out their full – their full offense right now and that's how Murray mentioned multiple times after the game and uh, they're just kind of trying to I don't know what they're trying to do I mean maybe they're just trying to get him used to the NFL but he didn't play all that well and to me it came down to simply he just was off throwing the football he wasn't as accurate as he normally is throwing the ball and from his very first pass when he was pressured by Cleland Farrell or Cleland how do you pronounce his name it's Cleland 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 Farrell and he was rushed by him and he had to roll out and he had an open Larry Fitzgerald, but he threw on the run and he threw it kind of high and behind fits for in, you know, incomplete. And it's a play that Kyler we've seen him make. He's, he, he's made that throw, you know, once he threw that incomplete, I think that it kind of snowballed and, you know, his next throw was too far to Christian Kirk on a play where, you know, he just, it was a kind of a double move and a fade and Murray was a you know, yard and a half, two yards too far. And all night he was just a little too out, too far out in front. And he was never able to get into a rhythm. And I think that's the, the main problem with that is that he just wasn't as accurate as we have come to see him be. And, you know, everything else with the, you know, the false start and that, that stuff is, 
patently ridiculous, I think, especially after what I saw an Arizona beat writer tweet out that he said the NFL is going to leave that up to the officials on a game to game basis. That is basis. An, what a terrible idea that is. I, I saw that, I think, Friday after the game, so I'm not sure if there has been any updates to that, so I can look that up to make sure. But I thought that was just an incredibly ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, let me jump in just because that was honestly my biggest takeaway. Um because it seems like the NFL is just is just going to flag clapping. I mean, they said this thing about it was too like too abrupt of a motion. Like, what are you talk? What are you talking about? Like, I don't. And then uh, Booker McFarland was kind of triggering me on the broadcast. He had no idea what he was talking about that entire time. Defensive lineman, we we're looking for anything to go, and it's like, are you kidding me? Aaron Rodgers head fakes all the time, and that's never called. Like, this is ridiculous. Well, the, they had the official officials guy in the booth though that was backing up what booger was saying that's that's what was so confusing so i think the rules in the nfl just might be different than it is in college they oh, might it's actually stupid. have then it's stupid like I, I don't this is on us for not fully going through uh here here we go you know let's just do this on the fly podcast i just i googled it everyone knows mike Pereira. everyone loves mike Pereira from fox and i'm Trying to find, he's quoted in here. Here we go. So this is Mike Pereira. He was talking to an Arizona sports radio station. And it says, Pereira explained the language of the rule book and said there's little reason for Arizona to worry about its snapping procedures come the regular season. All right, so this is Mike Pereira. I'm going to quote him. He says, quote, he can clap, and I think that was interesting. I'm going to start over because I can't read. Peyton Manning well, used to clap all the time too, so that's not, that's not <laughs> unprecedented. So here's what uh, Mike Pereira's quote is saying. He says, quote, he can clap. And I think what was interesting is you saw Carl Jeffers talking to Cliff Kingsbury and you could see him say, hey, you can clap normally, but you can't thrust your hands together. Pereira said kind of like Peyton Manning used to do when he used to thrust his hands forward at the same time he would take a step. We put an end to that because we felt it was too abrupt. The thing that confused me about watching this with Kyler Murray was what Carl was saying he did. He really didn't do. At least it didn't look like that to me. It looked like a pretty smooth cadence. So, man, I. You're also going to have to explain to me why you thing. can't. You also have to explain to me why you can head fake on a snap and you can't. And you can't do I don't an think abrupt you can really thing. Head fake. All right. I don't know how I don't Aaron. You can really do that. I mean, I mean, well, Aaron Rodgers does it all the time. It's like literally, yeah, it's I mean, one of the things he's known for. Whatever. Yeah. I. One of the better takes I heard from somebody, I can't remember, so I apologize, but you know, what about uh, all the times where you know, the team's on the road and the play clock's running down and he's trying to get the ball snapped and he's clapping his hands real fast, yep. like, snap the ball, snap the ball. Like, are you going to start calling that a false start too? I mean, what it seemed to me is that every time he clapped and the ball was snapped immediately after the clap, it was fine, but if he clapped and there was no snap, then they were signaling him for a false start. Yeah, that's exactly what they were doing, and so that's why I was... Yeah, I guess I I understand I suppose what they're trying to do, but I, um, but the defensive linemen, you're supposed to watch the ball. That's what you're supposed to do. Like this isn't right. The clap right. shouldn't matter if you're if if you're watching Kyler Murray's clapping motion, you're you're making a mistake as a defensive lineman or a linebacker. See, because he and was drawing. I mean, I think the first time he was called for a false start, it was like, oh yeah, he just drew those guys off sides. It's free five yards for Arizona, and they called it on him, and it's like, what? I mean, they. Clearly, the defensive linemen's like they jumped off because they were listening to him clap. Now, another I'm looking at a Dean Blandino tweet, and I think Dean Blandino's great. He's always on TV, and I what was his title? 
Do you know off the top of your head? He was, he was like the, he was the head of officiating. Head of officiating? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Dean Blandino says there's no prohibition against clapping. You just can't do anything abrupt to try and draw the defense offside. The action has to be smooth and deliberate. They're calling it very tight on him. I didn't think what he was doing was abrupt. So that's the problem is you got different officials have different interpretations of what's happening on the field and they call them twice for a false start. So we'll see what happens his next start if he has issues again. I mean, I didn't watch his first start. Well, I watched his first his first game and there was no issues with it. Um, I guess now I could go back and see if there was any times where he could have been called for false start, like if it was the the Oakland game. But either way, I mean, that was yeah, that was one of the big takeaways from it is that just that seemed pretty ridiculous. And then and I guess just about the game in general, um, I, I, I cannot stress enough how little stock I put in the preseason and I know it's a cliche but I I mean it and I mean it forcefully the preseason does not matter it never will matter for every Dak Prescott there's every other preseason that's ever happened in the history of the NFL yeah and I made the point last week or two weeks ago that I take the preseason a little bit more seriously than others just because Dak Prescott kind of changed the game for me and I think uh, on an individual basis I know like as far as teams go I don't care if teams win or lose doesn't matter to me so I think just again to be intellectually honest, I, that's why I have to come on here and say, yeah, I mean that's it's a somewhat alarming game for Kyler Murray. But again, I think it it's it's thing he's a very accurate passer, but he wasn't on Thursday, and that just kind of snowballed. I mean, if he completes that first pass to Larry Fitzgerald, or maybe that fade to Kirk a couple plays later, you know, maybe he finds a rhythm, he gets the offense going, and and things get going well. And you know, he didn't have a run game either, that didn't help him at all. Um, and the last thing on Kyler, I just. I, I heard uh, Eric Mangini bring this up, and so I kind of counted whenever I went back and watched it because Eric Mangini mentioned that it looked like Arizona got blitzed a little bit more than you'd see normally in the preseason by Oakland. And so I went, and by my count, there were 17 plays that Kyler was in on. Or I'm sorry, 15 plays, and Oakland blitzed seven times. So almost half the time, uh, Murray was being blitzed by Oakland. So I think the Raiders were kind of – kind of trying to show their hand a little bit and playing to the cameras and trying to get out there and get some confidence in themselves because I remember you mentioned that some teams treat it like the Super Bowl. I think the Raiders were kind of probably treating that game like the Super Bowl a bit, going up against number one overall pick. Let's get after them. Let's blitz a lot. Let's we have confidence in our secondary. Let's do this. Well, we'll so, find out uh, when we watch Hard Knocks tonight or when, yeah. I, when I watch it, I'm sure. Whenever we watch it, yeah. All right. Well, uh, other than that, I had a you know the opening take on Baker Mayfield, and I want to clarify something. You you may have noticed that I left out the part when talking about Daniel Jones, where uh, Baker later in the article is quoted as talking about how you got to be able to win as a quarterback, and th- I mean people are taking that kind of like oh my gosh he's calling Daniel Jones a loser, and I don't know it might be true, but I didn't put a whole lot of stock in that part. My whole main thing is like he basically had the same exact take as everybody else. He knows Dan. He probably saw Daniel Jones a little bit and thought, "What? Like that's kind of high for that guy." And I know that Baker came back on Instagram on Tuesday to kind of clarify his quotes, and I'll just bring that up on Instagram. Mayfield said, "This is not what I said. Just so we're clear, I also said I was surprised I got drafted number one." then was talking about the flaws in evaluating quarterbacks where I brought up winning being important. Reporters and media will do anything to come up with a clickbait story, heard nothing but good things, and wish nothing but the best for Daniel. All right, so I don't know. I Grant, didn't know I, I didn't know he talked, did that on Instagram. 
Oh, so. you haven't seen that yet? Yeah, no, he, I didn't that see that. That came out. That was this afternoon. Okay. No, I think this is much much ado about nothing, mostly. Um, I don't know. My my initial take on it was that, honestly, was that, geez, man, I kind of wish that Baker would just shut up. But the more that I thought about it, the more I, I just kind of... It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It probably was just a throwaway line that the reporter put into the story. Like, I don't... Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, to me, the more interesting part of this article was the stuff about the Ohio State flag plant apology. Oh, and yeah. We all, we all knew that was, I mean, BS, and he didn't want to do it, but he confirms it here. And, you know, I'm happy he brought it up. I really am because I am, I hate it. I hate it when people ask for apologies or expect apologies or demand apologies. I think people should only apologize if they really mean it. Because it doesn't mean anything if you don't mean it. And obviously, Baker Mayfield did not want to apologize for that. Nobody wanted him to apologize for that except for apparently some Oklahoma higher-ups. And he was embarrassed by it that he couldn't believe that that happened. And you know what? I have no problem with him saying that publicly because I have a huge problem with the mentality that, oh, we have to apologize for this thing that's not that big of a deal just so we can placate some, some losers or some people that are somewhat offended by I think that's not that big of a deal it's sports so I feel very passionate about this again like I if I do something that's wrong and I know it's wrong I will apologize for it no problem if I do something and I somebody wants an apology from me or they demand an apology and I don't believe that I should apologize or there's nothing I I'd like to think that I'm not going to do it and I say I'd like to think that because I'm in the media things happen and I know that sometimes it seems like people come out and apologize so they can keep their job. And that's kind of a, a, a tough time we are now here in this in our culture where that sometimes has to be the case. But in general, my principles are if you're going to apologize, you better mean it. If you don't want to apologize, if you don't mean it, don't do it. And also don't ask or demand for apologies because it's what what's the point of asking somebody to apologize if you know they don't care or they don't mean it? It's just it's it's you trying to embarrass them or try to get them to say something that they don't believe. And I don't think there's any sort of worth to that. So I like that part of the story and, and I'm happy that Baker was perturbed by it. And I'm glad that that came out. Yeah. I mean, I have no problem with that at all. It was really stupid that he had to apologize for that. It was really dumb. <laughs> I saw, um, what is it? Uh, Carson Cunningham. He's a, uh, what, what news station does he work for Lee? He works for KOCO here at the ABC station, in Oklahoma city. Yeah. He saw, had, saw Carson today over at the uh, OU availability. He had a tweet today that I thought was really good. He brought up that in 2016, uh, when Ohio State came into Norman and beat OU after the game, all the Ohio all the Ohio State players had like had had basic defense like posters, and they were kind of celebrating in the end zone and doing all that stuff when they beat OU on their own field the year before. You know, because yeah. you remember the Austin yeah. Kendall stuff about yeah. all yeah. that, and mm-hmm. um, I thought that was a really good point. Um, I don't I don't remember being upset about that. I remember thinking to myself, ah, they won, so. <laughs> yeah. Austin Kendall yeah, shouldn't but. have said that stuff or the or the OU media who put that out shouldn't have put that out um yeah I don't, I don't know. know I mean I don't recall anybody asking or demanding Ohio State for an apology well because that because uh, that would be ridiculous but and I don't and, you know no, I don't even think I, I don't think Ohio State asked for it I don't think anybody at Ohio State demanded an apology I'm either. not even I mean, sure anybody could, was demanding an apology I, I can't oh, yeah. even remember that time it was so dumb there certainly were people who were who were lobbying for that when he when he grabbed his junk against Kansas but um 
Right. And that wasn't that didn't get addressed in the the GQ story. I mean, I remember that. I mean, when he came up and talked about that, I mean, that's whenever he got benched for the first series of senior day and he was kind of emotional and you and I had a back and forth on the pod about how I just to me it was kind of like whatever you're going to play the rest of the game who cares uh and you on the other side you you thought it was pretty serious because the guy that didn't get to start his last game but anyway it's a that was different time but uh yeah I mean I don't know I mean who knows maybe he maybe he did actually mean that apology I don't know but that wasn't brought up in the story and um he seemed to be pretty broken up about having to be benched for that that first series of senior day against West Virginia back in 2017. Yeah, I don't know. Does uh, uh, the Browns are starting to give me give me some pretty bad vibes to be totally honest with you, but that's me just well, being being a being a pessimist. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean it's just it's a different. I mean, that's the thing. It's there's so much time between football games the offseason so long and like the only reason at this point why you'd be out on the browns is just because of like all that all that noise i mean they're they have so much talent and baker's good he's a good player I mean, he's just a really good player and so i mean yeah i, mean, I know they, they have a young they have a young head coach who's very experienced that's a that's a problem too i mean you'd be worried about that but it sounds like freddie kitchens is getting a lot of good reviews and i mean if everybody they likes them and if they come yeah. out and they, they spread them out and they let baker throw it 35 or 40 times a game they're going to be really good. They're going to be really good. But I think it, it kind of just depends on, I don't know, locker room locker room chemistry in the NFL is is, is no small deal. And um, when you when you when you pit a young team with a lot of talent that hasn't accomplished anything, has never even had a winning record in the NFL as a group together, I don't know. I, I think it's fair to question, you know, maybe where they're going out and that's not a that's not an incredibly easy division either it's not like I know the Steelers no one's really talking about them anymore but you know they still exist and and the Ravens were one of the better teams in the second half of last year so you know don't don't Mm -hmm. crown them quite yell yeah and the Browns have a much more difficult schedule yeah and you know what really good pass defense Browns I mean Browns infinitely more interesting than either of those teams I just mentioned so don't get me wrong on on that at all but um I don't know. I, I I really want Baker Mayfield to have a really good season upcoming here, and so I, you know, I, I I don't I don't think the talk does him any favors, but also at the same time, I don't think I don't think he cares. So, um, he's gonna no. do what he does. Yeah. No. I mean, he's gonna keep doing whatever he does until until he's humbled to the point where he doesn't think his his shtick really works anymore, and it's never failed him up to this point. He keeps exceeding expectations, and. Now he has even more players around him, and he has a – I mean, I'll say this. I mean, even though Freddie Kitchens has never been a head coach for a game, he's a better coach than Hugh Jackson. Uh, Hugh Jackson is one of the worst coaches – well, definitely head coaches uh, ever. And Something we can't definitively say yet, but yeah. is is almost – is just very probably true. Well, I was uh, listening – I always like to listen to Clay Travis's radio show in the morning because, again, he – He's an entertaining guy. He he keeps things going, and now the football's coming up. But he, I really like some of his guests he has on, too. And he has Petros Papadakis come on. He does Fox college football games, and he's out in L.A., and I think he's just kind of really funny and irreverent. He played running back at USC. Uh, but he brought up Hugh Jackson. Uh, you know, apparently he played running back, Petros did, at USC back when Hugh Jackson was a coach there, assistant coach there. And he just has just all the the worst things to say about Hugh Jackson. He just says he's a, not a good guy. Uh, he said he... He, which this ended up being true when it came to Baker. He said he 
he basically tore down quarterbacks like he he hurt the progression of quarterbacks at USC uh, and then at times he, he was a running backs coach as well when Pot, uh, Petros was there and he just he could not say anything good about Hugh Jackson and I don't know I granted that's one guy uh, but I I see to me he's a pretty trustworthy dude I, I've listened to him for a while and I I, don't, I just I don't get a good feel for for Hugh Jackson I just I don't I there's a reason why the Browns were so bad <laughs> I think so anyways I don't know I, no need to pile him anymore I mean, we've done that enough but uh it's a good spot it's just that's baker he's gonna talk and he's gonna keep doing it and then if he messes up and he plays bad he'll hear about it and he will deserve it because he's talked a lot and i think he knows that and he can take it he can so all right that's all i have on on bake uh, that's really the only parts of the the article i wanted to talk about really is the two things that had to do with oklahoma a little bit well i guess one of them had to do with oklahoma the other one had to do with uh um Daniel Jones. By the way, I have not in depth watched Daniel Jones's second start, but uh, I heard it was pretty good. So his second good start, weren't his numbers were pretty terrible in his second I, I, start, weren't they? I think he turned it over a couple times, but I think his passing stats were really good again. And it was against the vaunted Bears defense. How about that? How, how about this? It doesn't matter because it's the preseason. It, it, it just like I, I can't stress enough how little the preseason matters. Like. Like take in your mind right now, give it like a like a figure, like a number of what you think uh, of how much it matters, and then and then times that by like minus five hundred. That's that's how much it actually matters. Just yeah, not at all. It's it's just you're getting getting started early with the hyperbole. I know, but so it just, much it's, hyperbole. I know we we do it every year. I like I like preseason football just because it's football. But trying to trying to actually you know predict things that are going to happen based on the preseason, it's just it's folly. It's it's not smart. Just don't do it. The best teams in the league put put like nothing into preseason. At least the games that is. It just it just it doesn't it just doesn't work that way. Teams are working on things, and sometimes that's what it looks like. What what Kyler Murray looked like last week, and it's yeah. And for the record, they're not worried. The Cardinals aren't worried. And like, uh, old Peter Schrager doubled down on Kyler Murray being good. Like last so that was good. Uh, last night, Monday Night Football, Jimmy Garoppolo was 0 for 6 for zero yards and in an interception. Man, that is that's alarming too. So like that's I, not great. I like Jimmy G. No, I'm it's not great. By that. It's sure you can you can acknowledge yeah that's a bad game, but then you know take that put it in your pocket and then just understand that it's a preseason game and then you just go yeah. ahead and throw it away. Yeah, but it's it's part of the data point though. It's coming off an ACL injury that factors in. I, yeah, well, and that was his first start too. I think, right? That was his first action. Yeah, so we'll, but, we'll see how he know, plays next I time out. I don't. Know. It, it just it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. So don't don't That's worry fine. yourself with it. it. Doesn't matter to you. It matters a little bit to me. But what will matter is this Saturday. There's a college football game. There's two college football games to be more precise. One of which we'll be watching closer than the other. Grant, I don't have a lot to say at all about this game. I haven't done any research at all, but it uh, sounds like you want to talk a little bit about our first college football matchup no, coming I, up this Saturday. Just, just it, It's kind of an interesting game is all. Uh, you have a, a Miami team that returns a lot on defense um, from a defense that was good last year, a pitiful offense. Um, we'll probably continue to be pretty below average. But um, going up against a Florida team that I think a lot of people – 
think, overachieved a little last year, and they don't return a single starter on the offensive line going up against an experienced Miami front seven that is aggressive. So I think that's kind of an interesting sort of game within the game there. Um, you know, I, I didn't know I, that about Florida. Yeah, wow, I didn't just, know they were replacing it, their entire offense. Just think it's line. an interesting game, is all. And then you got is you got Felipe Frank still their quarterback. Yes, he I'm is. Not that impressed with him. He is. So so Florida returns a lot of their skill guys. Um, have to replace their entire offensive line, and uh, Miami is a very aggressive, very experienced and talented unit up front. And they're also starting a redshirt freshman quarterback, Jaron Jackson, who no one really or Jaron Johnson, I think maybe, um, who no one you know really knew anything about. And so uh, going up against an SEC defense at Florida, and I think Florida's defense was was just pretty good last year. It wasn't necessarily excellent. Um, no, I just think it's an interesting game. It has, it has the potential to be a really competitive game. Um, and I think two teams that are not going to factor into the national championship picture at all, but um, teams that are certainly going to play other teams and could challenge other teams that will be part of the national title picture. Um, so... No, I, I I think it's a really good game to, to kick off the season. I'm just excited to watch it. There's going to be a lot of speed, a lot of talent on the field. Yeah, I'd be a lot more interested in this game if Tate Martell was Miami's quarterback just because we've all heard so much about Tate Martell. And just me personally going back, again, I know I mentioned on the show before, but I was at Texas A&M when they were trying to recruit him, so I remember hearing a lot about him. And he just hasn't played, really, because he, you know, he transferred and he's behind – uh, Dwayne Haskins and just yeah so and he can't win the job but uh, clearly he's not good enough to win <laughs> to win the job so I mean I, who knows I mean maybe he'll maybe this other retro freshman guy won't play that well and Manny Diaz will have a quick hook and we'll see some Tate Martell but nah, so I this other know, guy I mean Jared this other guy he was a blue chip recruit so it's not like oh, okay so he's yeah he's, he's probably he's, entrenched then so well good for him geez now I want to make sure that I'm like now I want to make sure that I'm saying it right his name because I'm doing some Google searches and now I, I don't feel as good. <laughs> I don't feel, I, I, I don't think I got it right. Oh my gosh. I just got this Tate Martell working out at wide receiver after losing Miami quarterback job. Oh, that's kind of funny. Yeah. All right. Well, so good for him. Okay. The guy's name is Jaron Williams. So, so sorry about that. I, I wanted to, I wanted to correct the record before we ended the show because I just had a feeling that entire time I was really getting that one wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, obviously, I'm excited for this game. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I'll be a lot more engaged to come the next Saturday when we get a full slate and then obviously Sunday for Oklahoma. But uh, yeah, oh, but I'm going to leave uh, leave the podcast just on this one note. And this is more of just a note for just college football fans in general. You mentioned Clay Travis earlier. He's got this new podcast uh, called wins and losses oh, yeah. and it's just a it, it, it's a long form interview series and this week he interviewed Joel Klatt and it's about an hour and a half long and it was really good um, I think Joel Klatt has really kind of cemented himself as as he's certainly in the same mold as, as a Kirk Herbstreit he's just really likable seems like a really good guy and he's got a really interesting backstory and so any college football fan or anybody who likes Joel Klatt I would recommend going and listening to that. It was uh, really insightful. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Well, you mentioned Kirk Herbstreet. Clay did one of those podcasts with Kirk Herbstreet a couple weeks ago. Yep. And I actually just finished up that one last night, and that was like two hours and 15 minutes. And, man, I talking about like Kirk Herbstreet is such a likable dude. And 
it's it's a podcast where they literally go back through these guys' entire lives, and Clay just asks some questions and, and wants to to figure out how they got from point A to point B. And what I liked about Kirk Herbstreet, Grant, and I don't know if you haven't listened to it yet, and you got I know it's it's super long. There's some good nuggets in there, and uh, but at the beginning of it, what I liked about Kirk Herbstreet, I, it resonated well with me, and I think it would be it resonates with you too. That Herb Street was a guy that when he was younger, he moved around quite a bit and he was a pretty shy guy. But the way he was able to kind of get in and kind of make friends was through playing sports. And you and me, we moved around a lot growing up. I mean, that's kind of how you and I were able to make friends and, you know, it, get over the, you know, the, the terrors of moving and meeting new people and just that, like playing sports and, and doing that. That's kind of like was the great equalizer. And so I didn't know that about Kirk Herbstreet, so I kind of liked that. It kind of made me think this is probably a big reason why he is such a good guy because I'm sure moving all the time when he's younger, I mean, it kind of humbles you a bit. You kinda, you're kind of you always a new guy. you got to be nice. you got to make friends. And, and then he talked about a bunch of other stuff, too, that was super interesting about how he moved up and from the quarterback at Ohio State to be, you know, being on college game day. Um, but, hey, I mean, bro, here's a time where he – thought about quitting football and wanting to go pursue baseball while he was at Ohio State. And he told his dad that he was going to quit. And I think this was after his sophomore year at Ohio State because he wasn't playing, he wasn't starting, and he, he was a good baseball player. And, and he was thinking about, he wanted to, man, you know, I should have done that. I wanted, And his dad told him, no, no, you're not. You're not quitting. You're going back out there. You made a commitment. And he said that he went out there in the spring and he didn't quit. He listened to his dad. And Herb Street said that for the first time, I think he said John Cooper was Ohio State's coach back then. He said that they named captains in the spring. And he said that like his entire team voted him one of the team captains. And he had no idea that was going to happen. And he, and he would have never had that happen, obviously, if he would have quit. And he just, he's so happy that he stuck it out and stayed. And then I think he ended up winning the quarterback job that year. And then the rest is history. So that was kind of a neat little nugget, too. It's like, he didn't quit and ended up working out really well for him. And so just, yeah, I, I recommend that one as well. If I mean, two of the most, obviously Kirk Herbstreet's like on the college football announcing like Mount Rushmore, I think at this point. And then you got Joe Clad, who's kind of new to the game, but he's been doing games for a while. We just haven't really seen him a lot. He's very uh, well now. respected. I think a yeah. lot of people really like him. And um, yeah, uh, minor league baseball is a very large topic in this, uh, in this interview with Clatt. And it is, it's really interesting. So I, I, I think people will like it. All right. Well, that does it for this edition of West of Everest. And that does it for our summer shows. Rook, I, we haven't asked you about this. I mean, two episodes next week. Two episodes. You excited? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm always excited for the, for the big season preview. It's just we get to just, yeah. just, just throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see if it sticks about college football. It's fun. <laughs> So beginning next week, we're going to go to two episodes per week, and we have that big season preview show coming up, then a Houston preview show. Looking forward to all of that. The big season preview show is scheduled to come out next Monday. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.